start with visualizing the merit field and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and ourselves surrounded by all sentient beings. And then remembering that everybody wants happiness and nobody wants suffering. And to lead all sentient beings in turning to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha for spiritual guidance. Our motivation is of crucial importance. It's what determines the value of what we're doing. So if we're all sitting here with the motivation, thinking, what can I get out of this? Then, you know, it's kind of like many other things we do in life, how we approach other objects and people, what can I get out of it? How will it benefit me? On the other hand, if we approach listening to teachings with the motivation of, I want to learn so I can become a kinder, more compassionate and wiser person in order to benefit beings, and make a contribution to society, then that changes the whole thing. We can just even feel in ourselves the difference between one motivation and the other. We feel completely different when we have these two different motivations. So that's consciously generate a motivation of kindness, of wanting to learn so we can become better human beings, and to become better human beings so that we can contribute something good to the lives of others. We're on chapter 8 of Shantideva's Guide to a Bodhisattva's Way of Life, also translated as um, 
but the bodhisattva's uh, deeds. Yeah. And chapter eight is about meditation, so it has many different topics in it. Uh, and we're in the part of it that is talking about some of the preparation that we need to do if we're going to do a long meditation retreat with the goal of developing uh, single-pointedness and wisdom. Okay, So it's not um, beginner's re uh, retreat or beginner's daily meditation uh, that this chapter is aimed at, but what Shantideva talks about are, um, is going to help us in our regular daily practice because we have to overcome these the same kind of obstacles. Okay, so uh, he spent some time talking about uh, attachment to reputation and uh, decreasing that, you know, so that we don't get distracted in our uh, meditation. He started talking about attachment to our body, you know, and how we fuss about this body. Atta some about attachment to other people saying that we're born alone and die alone and experience things alone and that uh, other people are not always so reliable. Well, there's a great line in it. It says, Oh, they scorn those who have no material gain and say bad things about those who do. How can they, who are by nature so hard to get along with, ever derive any pleasure from me? Yeah, those who are so difficult to get along with. Okay, so beings with afflictions, just like us, yes, we're working for their benefit, yes, we train to see them as kind, but we also realize that their minds are like yo-yos and their minds are quite fickle, just like our minds. And so not to uh, place all of our trust in them being the, uh, you know, whoever guides us in life or, uh, you know, whoever we think is going to make us happy. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, we stopped last week. I'll just review a little bit. Um, yeah, verse 33. In the same way as travelers on a highway leave one place and reach another, likewise those traveling on the path of conditioned existence, in other words, the path of samsara, cyclic existence, they leave one birth and reach another. Okay, so this is our life's story, yeah? Getting born, dying, getting born, dying, yeah? Uh, taking birth in one, one body, our present, like the present guest house, and then leaving that the guest house and taking rebirth in another body, which is like another guest house, okay? Just places where our consciousness resides temporarily 
we create uh, an identity, so much of our, ident our identity based on our body and its characteristics. Um, we think that we are that person. We limit our life according to how we, who we think we are. Yeah. And um, then we die and go into another kind of existence and do the whole thing all over again. Okay, so we're on this merry-go-round, and at some point, you know, we're we're just kind of going on this merry-go-round, thinking that you know we'll we'll find that the, the merry-go-round will go high, and then it'll stop, and we'll just stay there. But even if it stops and stays there after a while, you're on your high horse, and it's like I want to get off this merry-go-round. Yeah, so we realize that there's no happiness on the high horses, on the low horses. We want to get out of samsara to start with. Okay. Okay, and that's done through generating wisdom. Okay, 35. Befriending no one and begrudging no one. My body will dwell alone in solitude. If I am already counted as a dead man, uh, when I die, there will be no mourners. Okay, so this is why I don't like to start this with people who haven't heard any Buddha Dharma and don't know anything about aspiring for liberation and enlightenment because you read this kind of verse and it and it's going, uh, it sounds like, you know, I got to cut off from all friends and everything and go live alone, and then everybody thinks I'm dead already. And so, you know, actually I skipped a verse. But, um, you know, so there's not going to be any mourners, so I might as well kill myself right now. No, that's not the conclusion Shanti Deva is getting us. Okay, let me back up. I did skip a verse, 34. Until the time comes for this body to be supported by four Paul belts, bearers, while the worldly stand around, stricken with grief. Until then, I shall retire to the forest. Okay, so retire to the forest, you know, again, it doesn't mean you go live in, necessarily in the forest. It means uh, you live a more secluded kind of life, so you can focus on your practice. Okay, so that, it's trying because we're so busy, yeah? I mean, in our regular life, going here and going there, and you have your job and your family and your social life and your hobbies and, you know, your your sports this, and you got to go shopping and you got to have what everybody else has. And, and, you know, we're so busy just running around all the time. So, um, you know, and then getting involved in other people's lives and, you know, trying to give them advice about the, what they should do and not do. And we're the busiest of the busy. We want to fix everybody else's problems and know what everybody else is doing and uh, what's going on. And, you know, like, uh, who can practice? I mean, first of all, our t it consumes all our time. Second of all, you sit down to practice. And what's going through your mind, you know? It's like this and that and the other and so and so doing this with so and so and that's happening and there's this problem and how can I help those people? 
or I had a quarrel with somebody, but, you know, we always have this. I got to fix this problem. And, you know, it's all their fault. No, it's all my fault. Oh, what are we going to do? Ruminate, ruminate. (laughs) Okay. So it's um, trying to get us out of that cycle. Okay. So he's saying in 34, for the rest of my life, you know, until they carry my body to the to the cemetery, the four pallbearers, um, you know, I'm going to do something useful with my life. What's interesting here is, you know, it's creating the um, the scene of an ordinary funeral, you know. I mean, nowadays, pallbearers, not so much. They put the casket on, on something and you wheel it out, you know. Um, but but and then everybody sits around the grave and and they have you know a big canopy so you're not out in the sun and you're sitting on comfortable chairs and I mean it's a whole affair it t- costs a lot of money to die in this country okay so uh, and what's happening the worldly people stand around stricken with grief. Okay, so they send out an announcement. All of our friends come, all the people we haven't seen in so long. Yeah, they all come. And they're all so filled with sorrow because after not keeping in touch for all these years, they now figured out that they miss us. Yeah, and then uh, everybody has to say nice things. When somebody dies, you have to say nice things about them. Okay, you don't stand around sharing uh, how much you hate them. You know, you you put on a a nice face and uh, and cry. In some countries, you know, they hire people to cry. Yeah, in Singapore, uh, if you belong to a certain clan, the clan has these big trucks. Yeah, and you put the casket in the back of the you know, like like the big trucks here, you know? They put the casket back there. Some people are riding in the back of the truck, beating cymbals, beating drums, people walking behind, just going down a regular street, you know? Um, and, And then people behind crying, and they'll even hire people to come and cry, yeah? Because you've got to show how much that person was cared for, even they're no longer around to enjoy it. Okay, um, yeah, and you have to pay. You hire people to do this. So you got to pay them. Um, yeah, some of us could do that. Every good. Yeah, you can raise some money for the Buddha Hall. Yeah, you know, go. The two of you are especially skilled at this, but. But there's some other people that are pretty good too, you know. And uh, yeah, okay, keep it, keep it in your mind, huh? Okay. We'll even give you thermoses that say Shravasti Abbey <laughs> with the phone number, so that more people see it, they can call and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. Um, yeah, so we think of, you know, our funeral, and it's this whole big thing, and again, we're the star of the show, 
Okay. When are you the star of the show? When you're born. Okay. What happens then? You come out, they turn you upside down, whack you on the bottom. Welcome to this world. Okay. But you're the star of the show then. But we don't remember that. Anybody remember that being born? Okay. Next time uh, is either you're confirmed in church or you're bar mitzvahed. Okay. Yeah. And then they have a big party for you. Yeah. And you get lots of presents, but you have to write a lot of thank you notes afterwards. Okay. Then the next time they make a big deal out of you is when you get married. And that is just the ultimate big deal. Yeah. You are the star of the show. Yeah. And everybody is there with you looking on and filling their hearts with love and wishing you well after you just had a fight with your fiancé and their parents about what food you're going to eat at the wedding and what you're going to wear and who you're going to invite. Yeah, You think weddings are happy affairs? Anybody here ever planned? None of you have planned a wedding. Well, a couple of us have planned weddings, yeah. Get ready for dukkha. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I remember my wedding. I mean, my, my father-in-law wanted my fiancé, my husband, you know, to wear a suit. We, he didn't want to wear a suit. I didn't want him to wear a suit. His father wanted him to wear a suit. My parents wanted him to wear That was one big, did you see what I remember from my wedding? And then the other thing was the cake. What kind of cake were we going to have? So my mother had this recipe for an apple cake, uh, no, applesauce cake that was delicious. So we gave that recipe to the baker, you know, and they have to make one thing, you know, with all this gooey stuff that makes your arteries blocked. <laughs> yeah, that people love. Um, and they, they botched it completely. It tasted awful. <laughs> It was all dried out, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, you know, you know how you're supposed to feed each other. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I won't tell you any more stories from my way. <laughs> There's a few good ones. Um, anyway, you know, so that's the next time you're the star. Then, after that, you are not the star. Yeah. When you have babies, the baby is the star. You're just the one who, you know, the worker who, who made the baby and have to take care of them for the next 45 years. Okay. Um, uh, but the, really, the next time you're the big deal is when you die. Yeah. But who's around to enjoy that? Yeah, you think you're going to be up sitting on some cloud? You know, looking down? That's not how it goes. Okay, your consciousness is gone. Okay, but here what he's doing is having us imagine all the stuff that goes with a funeral where, again, we are the star. And especially the obit, 
that, you know, and now it's online and everybody can look it up and they can send flowers and they can make donations in your name and then they all come and they cry and then they go home and they eat. No, they go back to somebody's home or they have a buffet there at the at the funeral home and everybody eats. And in Singapore, they play mahjong. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. And then maybe, you know, you get listed, your alma mater, you know, they say they write something nice about you. Yeah. Or the, the place you work issues someplace. Something, you know, like, oh, we regret the death of so-and-so. Our, our prayers and thoughts, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you get killed with one of the guns floating around this country. You know, uh, everybody, oh, our prayers and thoughts are with you. That's very nice. Yeah. How about your votes for somebody who's going to get rid of the guns? That's what I wanted from you before. <laughs> yeah? Wouldn't that be nice? So, um, yeah, so he's having us create that whole scene and then look at it and say, yeah, so then? Is that what... I, I want, is that the meaning of my life? Yeah. And then he's forcing us to go back to chapter one. That is talking about bodhicitta. Yeah. And the altruistic intention to be of the great benefit to all sentient beings and to become a Buddha in order to do that. Yeah. And then you say to yourself, oh, well, how do I want my life to be with this kind of, you know, big production funeral? Or, you know, do at the end of my life, do I want to have some merit behind me, some purification, you know, generate some compassion in my mind, some love, you know, can I, can I really make my bodhicitta firm and take that with me onto my next life? What is really more valuable? Yeah. How I look when they lay me out in the casket? Is that really important? Well, if that's not so important, why do we fuss about how we look when we're alive? Yeah. Okay. So this is this is what Shantideva is uh, is asking us to do, and that this uh, thing of imagining, you know, like that, this is what actually got me to cut my hair when I first met the Dharma. Because when I got met the Dharma, I had hair down to here that I had spent years growing. That was my pride and joy. Beautiful. Long hair, you know, with red highlights. I didn't even have to dye it, you know. 
And then I thought, oh, okay, that's me in the casket. And everybody's going to walk by and say her hair was so beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's going to be, that's what I want for my life. Yeah. So that's what got me out of Southern California and into the monastery in Nepal. That's not what I want for my life. Okay. So here, in verse 35, when he says, befriending no one and begrudging no one, it does. he's not saying, don't have any friends, you know, create walls around you, you know, I, I am the stoic, highly realized yogi that I have said has so much compare, compassion for everybody, all these slobs that I don't even talk to them. I just sit here in my meditative equipoise, feeling bliss, while they put their offerings here. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. Okay, befriending no one and begrudging no one. It means not getting all involved in the useless things of society and the useless things of our our present way of relating to people. Yeah? Not befriending everyone. Oh, I don't have to have a social life and go out with this person and that one and go here and there and, you know, so that every Monday morning at work I have a nice story to tell about my weekend. You know, we went to, where did we went hiking here? We went to play golf or no, we went to play miniature golf. We went to, um, what else do you, what else do people, oh, we went to the pub. We went to the disco. We went um, shopping. Shopping. How could I forget that? <laughs> Very easily. Yeah, I went shopping. And look what I got. Yeah. And we went looking at houses. Oh, yes, that's a nice Sunday thing, isn't it? What the family does. How, how many of your families went? for rides on Sunday, just cruising around the neighborhood looking at houses. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's saying, you know, befriend, when, when, getting into sticky relationships with people. What do they call that? Codependency. Yeah, I need you to need me. Because when you need me, it means I'm important. It means somebody cares about me. So I do things to make you need me. And I watch your life very meticulously so that any time you seem to need me, I will be there. Even before you need me, I will be there because I will 
watch and observe and stick my nose into your business as much as I can because that way I feel needed. Hmm? But really, it's compassion. I have the sour show my compassion. I'm the first boomy, you know. Well, maybe not that. Path of accumulation. I'll start with that, you know. But I'm so compassionate. I stick my nose everywhere. Okay, so it means don't do that. You know, befriending, uh, befriending no one, begrudging no one. Don't spend your life, you know, ruminating about all the horrible things people do to you, how much they don't appreciate you, how rotten your life has been, how you're entitled to better. Yeah, that's another way we can we spend our lives, isn't it? Yeah, the poor me. Okay, so he's, you know, neither of those is the purpose of our life. You know, when we have a precious human life, when we have the possibility, you know, to, uh, to generate wisdom and compassion, why are we doing all this? Okay, so instead of doing all that, you know, I'm out in a secluded place doing my practice. So, you know, if you think, oh, no, I'm going to have my social life and do all of this, and then, uh, okay, I'm turning, uh, what, what age? What do you want? What do you got? One of those for us. Yeah. 30, 40. Oh, you're too old already. Oh, no, are you turning 40? No. Okay, yeah, 40, so I'm too old. Some people say, 45, oh, then I'm not too old. If you think you're going to, like, just live, and then that date, after the day after your birthday, you are going into long retreat, yeah, shutting down your Facebook, your Instagram, your WhatsApp, your... Um, TikTok, oh yeah, how could I forget TikTok? Uh, you know, shutting down all my social media. And then I'm just walking away from it all the next day. And I'm never going to look back, never going to think about it again. Right. As you take your phone with you to your heated and aircon cave with a big refrigerator, not a small one. Okay. Yeah, we think, you know, well, I'll just do this for a while and then I'll practice Dharma. This is the whole thing, isn't it? I have all these obligations. I'll fulfill my obligations. Then I will go practice Dharma. Okay. Manana in la manana. Uh, and then you get to the day you're dying, and it, it's still manana in the manana. 
Yeah, except, you know, where are you going to be reborn? And will you have that opportunity in the next life? So that that's the thing. Thirty-six. And as there will be no one around to disturb me with their mourning, thus there will be no one to distract me from my recollection of the Buddha. So if we are really now start generating uh, renunciation, yeah. And renunciation doesn't mean leaving chocolate. It means renouncing dukkha, renouncing suffering and misery, okay? Renouncing attachment and anger, renouncing self-pity, okay? So if there's no one around to distract me, yeah, to disturb me, nobody's crying after I'm gone, yeah, they're all out doing what they always do. Yeah. Um, then, then I can just do my practice. Yeah, and here he's telling us, you know, if you give up all that stuff, you know, everything we do, keeping ourselves the busiest of the busy, then what do we do with our mind? the recollection of the Buddha. Okay, so we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. We recollect recollect the, uh, the qualities of the Buddha, and we start really doing the meditations to develop those same qualities in ourselves. Yeah, And then instead of thinking, of other people and them being our refuge, other ordinary people being our refuge. Yeah, we think of the Buddha Dharma Sangha. We think of our teachers and our wise Dharma companions. Okay, but we can't just do this, you know, just like you can't run a race Speeding, and then the step after the finish line, stop. Yeah, so we can't just be the busiest of the busy in the day after our birthday when we pack up and, go, you know, go somewhere. Then all of a sudden our mind is peaceful and tranquil. We have to start that process of disengagement with ignorance, anger, and attachment now. Thirty-seven, therefore, I shall dwell alone, happy and contented with few difficulties, in very joyful and beautiful forests, pacifying all distractions. Okay, so this is not, again, setting us up for our romantic vision of, oh, I saw one thing about, you know, one Tibetan Lama just walking through the forest and the nice music playing behind. and He's walking through the forest all alone. Yeah. Now, get rid of your dreaming mind. Yeah. Of 
you're walking so nicely through the forest while all your friends at home are thinking, oh, she's out. She's such a renunciate. Look at that beautiful life. Oh, just walking through the forest, communing with nature. And meanwhile, other people are looking and saying, that lazy bum, why don't, you know, they talk about compassion. Why don't they get out and do something to help the world instead of just strolling around in the, in the forest? Yeah. And then some other people are going to say, ah, yeah, talk about lazy bum. They split without repaying me, repaying the money that they owed me. You know, that, that person's a loafer. Okay, so you're going to get everything. So, you know, we're not talking about de- developing some romantic something. You know, like when you came here, didn't most of you have some kind of romantic notion? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to walk in here. Yeah. Well, that's because it took you so long. <laughs> Yes, you walk in, and you know, I get shivers being in a monastery. Now I'm going to meditate. Blissful samadhi. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing how these things happen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. okay. So it's it's what it's talking about here is not a romantic dream. It's you know. Therefore, I shall dwell alone. I shall feel comfortable in my own company. I will be my own friend. Yeah. I won't need lots of people around to tell me I'm wonderful. Yeah, I'll have self-confidence. I'll be able to, you know, be my own friend and do the kinds of things that I enjoy doing without having to run around and fulfill all these social obligations. Yeah. And in a regular life, there are lots of social obligations. Especially, and when you have kids, then you get dragged into even more social obligations. Okay? So, you know, you're able to be your own friend. You don't need to, you know, go on online all the time to amuse yourself. You don't need to know what's happening you know, in every single country. Yeah. yeah, happy and contented with few difficulties. So we all know that the more possessions we have, the more difficulties we have. Yeah, the more possessions you have, the more hell realms you go to when your possessions break or get lost or they're destroyed or, or whatever. Yeah, so taking care of possessions, boy, 
it takes a lot of time and energy to take care of possessions. So, I mean, we even see it here in our lives, you know, living in a monastery and trying to spread the Dharma. My goodness, how many computers do we need to do live stream teachings and archive teachings? Many computers. And how many microphones and how many cords? I mean, look at all those cords. Yeah. And we even have cords on the floor and cords all over. Yeah. And then, you know, you need beds, you need blankets for the summer, blankets for the winter, and a kitchen you need. Oh my goodness. We always need new kitchen equipment. Yeah, the holes in this strainer are too small, but the holes in that strainer are too big. So we got to get four more strainers. Yeah. So, you know, developing contentment. That's what we need to do. You know, can we develop contentment? Or do we always want more? Do we always want better? Okay. Because again, you know, what disturbs us in our our meditation, thinking about other people and conversations we just had with them. Oh, I said this. Are they going to think badly of that? Oh, I said that. Are are they going to think I'm arrogant? You know, what did they mean when they said this? You know, it becomes big distraction, you know. And then going through, you know, morning meditation, what do I have to do today? Well, you know, the the this broke and the that broke and, you know, what's new? Yeah, what's new? Every day something's breaking. <laughs> yeah. And then do we replace it? Do we fix it? If we replace it... Do we get a new one? Do we get a used one? Do we have enough money for it? I mean, it's exhausting having possessions. So, you know, how what he's saying here is happy and contented with few difficulties. Yeah. So our mind has learned to be content. We don't need external objects and sense objects and all of that to to um, keep us occupied. Yeah, we can work with our own mind, you know, our meditation practice. Our Dharma study is interesting enough. Okay, so this is what he's he's guiding us towards. Okay, pacifying all distractions. So it might be interesting, you know, take one day and uh, write down your distractions. Of course, by the end of one meditation, you've forgotten most of your distractions during it. (laughs) But if you write them down uh, in the middle of the meditation, then you'll never get to the meditation and have more distractions. Okay, but, uh, you know, to really, when things come up distracting us, you know, developing contentment. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Contentment doesn't mean apathy. It doesn't mean you don't care about the world. It doesn't mean you misuse resources because you don't care about them. No, I mean, we, we are responsible for the, our environment and keeping it clean, for uh, not polluting, yeah, and so on. So it, this is not a call to just, well, there's garbage all around, but I'm content. No, it's, no. If your environment is a mess, usually your mind follows suit. That includes your office. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. It includes your office. It includes the room where you stay. Somebody, some people's desk, it's very hard to see the bottom. It's very hard to see the desk, actually. Yeah, because there's so much on top of it. So, you know, learning to have a clean environment, have a clean mind. 38, having given up all other intentions. Oh, so I can't intend to run for office. I can't intend to go bowling. I can't intend to turn, you know, to vent on somebody. Uh, Okay. And I can't intend to go out and get a wig. Okay, having given up all other intentions, motivated by only one thought. What's that one thought? Bodhicitta. Yeah, that's your one thought. And that's what inspires your entire life. And that's what makes your life interesting no matter what you're doing or who you're doing it with. Okay, so motivated by bodhicitta, I shall strive to settle my mind in equipoise. Okay, so settle the mind equipoise, you know, having serenity, being able to place our mind, uh, our folk, the focus, of our mind on an object without having it stray or without our mind falling asleep, okay? So to uh, settle the mind in equipoise and to subdue it with insight, okay? In other words, to gain the, the unity of serenity and insight, yeah? And then what are you gonna do with that unity of serenity and insight? Hmm? Realize emptiness, yeah. And dwell, you know, have the mind dwell in the nature of reality for the benefit of all beings and cleanse the mind stream of all obstacles and, and hindrances. 
Okay, that's doing something useful with our life. Even if we don't get to those realizations, just even having that aspiration and working towards it is progress. Yeah. They, they even say, some, you know, that if you aspire to go to a teaching, the process of getting to the venue of the teaching, if you're going with a good intention, then that whole process of traveling creates virtue. Yeah, because your intention is to do something. So even you're sitting on a transatlantic flight for 30, you know, uh, you know, 24 hours only to get off, change planes, and get on another flight that lasts a long time, you know, only to get off and then ride in an Indian bus. You know, to get to a teaching, you know, with that kind of aspiration, then the whole process becomes virtue. Okay, so just going in that direction is is really good. Because remember, we need to accumulate a lot of merit. Um, 39, both in this world and the next, desires give rise to great misfortune. In this life, killing, bondage, and flailing. And in the next, the existence of the hell realms. Okay? So desires give rise to misfortune. This is where I find watching the news to, you know, one of ways in which watching the news becomes a Lamrim teaching. Yeah, because you watch people's desires, what, what they want and what they do to get what they want. Okay, so... You know, when he says desires give rise to misfortune, you know, you have that want, you have that desire. Yeah. And it's the misfortune um, is not just, you know, the results in this life. It's not just because it leads you to killing bondage and flailing. Yeah. But also the misfortune is in future lives where we experience the result of those actions. Okay. So it's very interesting to, to look. And, you know, I, you know, I can't thank dear Donnie enough for the example he's showing of what happens when you have an out-of-control mind that has desires. Yeah. When you desire power, when you desire fame, you want to always be in the news. Yeah. All the different things, when you desire wealth, when you desire beautiful people around you, yeah. when you have all those desires, then what do you do to get them? And... How many court cases is he involved in now? Currently seven only. Yeah. There's, I mean, one court case after another court case. And 
you know, and he likes to, you know, it's very expensive because you have to hire the, the lawyers and the lawyer's job is to push all of that in the future. So you make up all sorts of reasons why the court case can't go ahead. And in that way, you push it so it's never really dealt with. Okay? But in the meantime, what's going on? Yeah, there's total ruckus in your environment. And you see what is happening to the country because everybody follows this. Yeah? And so many newspaper articles are written about it. People are quarreling about it because they take sides. Yeah. So the new thing to quarrel about, you know, it used to be his involvement in January 6th. Now it's these uh, classified and, you know, papers that he doesn't want to turn over. Yeah. And everybody has their theory about why he doesn't want to turn them over and why he kept them. And, you know, he's sending, I mean, it's just amazing. So why he desired this stuff, who knows? Yeah, they're investigating the Espionage Act. That's one of the charges that they're, yeah. So your whole life is spent in this, and he loves it. He loves being the center of it all. Huh? So, you know, how, how we, we do our own version of things, of somehow keeping ourselves. Some people really create problems so that they can you know, have, have a lot of attention in their lives. Okay? So when you have a lot of desires, you create a lot of problems. And it's not just problems for other people. It's problems for yourself. But, you know, he created enough problems for other people. Yeah, one of his, um, the one of the guys who was, the head of the Trump organization is now pleading guilty. Yeah. And of course, Michael Cohn, his foreign, former uh, lawyer, you know, wound up with a three year prison sentence. And then all those people that, you know, Manafort and, and Stone and all of those, all the people he pardoned, they all got, got in messes, you know going along with his his things, okay? So this is just such an excellent teaching, yeah? When you think about, you know, how you keep your own three-week, three-ring circus going in your life and then hook other people in it and they wind up suffering because of it. And so do you. This life and for sure next life. Yeah. I mean, the same thing's going on with Putin. I, I just focus on Donnie because there's more articles about him. But Putin's doing the same thing. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. Him too, of course. We can't leave him out. Yeah. And the narcos. And the... He wants to be the center of attention. Yeah. As Donnie. Yeah, as Donnie. Donnie and Ronnie. Yeah. Ronnie wants to run for president too. Isn't that his first name? Yeah, Ronnie. Donnie and Ronnie. DeSantis. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, now he's going to get into the big thing about sexual attachment because this is one of our biggest attachments. Yeah. And, you know, who knows how many meditation traditions people feel going off on this one. Okay, or you don't even need to sit in meditation. You just walk around and the mind's going, yeah. So he's, he's really going off on this. He talks about women as the object, okay? That's because his audience is a group of monks, heterosexual monks, of course, okay? But it doesn't mean heterosexual monks. It means whoever, you know, as the person that he's talking to, he's talking to all of us. The person he's talking about being the object of desire is whoever or whatever you desire. Okay. It doesn't matter. You're great. You're gay or you're straight or you're trans or you're who knows whatever. I can't keep track of all of them. Yeah. It doesn't matter whoever it is, it says women, but it's whoever that your mind is focused single-pointedly on, okay, with sexual desire. Okay, so, so verse 40, so he's, and he's, he does not let up, okay? If you think there's one or two verses on this, and then, okay, shoo, let's get, we got over that one. He does not let up. Okay, so for the sake of whoever you're attracted to, many requests are first of all made through Gobi trains. All forms of transgression and even notoriety are not avoided for their sake. Okay, so for the sake of who you are attracted to, what do people do? Okay, first of all, you have to get your, your body right. That's the first thing. Okay, you have to make yourself look like whoever is in the magazines. Yeah, or whoever in the magazines that you think you want to look like. Okay. I'm just thinking of our upcoming photo shoot when uh, when we all uh, want to look like the guys working. I've been rehearsing my posture for that. <laughs> I even showed a few people, you know. Uh, but you know, <laughs> that just flashed through my mind. But you know what? What we have to do to our body, yeah, because that's how we're first going to attract somebody. 
Yeah. And that's the thing we're looking at them for. You know, you don't talk to the person first. You look at their body, you know, and then based on that, oh, then you get interested. Okay. So you've got to go to the gym. Yeah. You've got to, um, uh, you've got to lose weight or you've got to gain weight, depending. Okay. You've got to do something with your hair. Yeah. Your hair has to look like the people in the magazines. Oh, yes. Yes. Do you have any pictures of yourself? Please bring them. Okay. Mexi if you think, well, people, the women in this country, I mean, boy, do they do it. And the men are doing it now, too. But in Mexico, they take the cake. Really. I mean, what they, how long? What, what's the? Oh, yeah. High heels, yeah. Perfume. Yes. Jewelry. You know, uh, uh, mascara, eyeliner, eyeshadow. Uh, what do you, uh, yeah, lipstick and powder. But what are you going to do with those wrinkles? Yeah. You have to go to Botox or a facelift. Facial sculpting, it's called. Oh, facial scoping. Sculpting. Sculpting. Oh, they're going to sculpt my face. You think Peter's going to do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you got to, you know, all those things. And you, and you, you know, before you go out of the house in the morning, you've got to put on your face and put on your whatever. Okay. And of course, going along with that, you have your occupation. Okay. So you've got to dress properly for your occupation and you have to have the car that fits that occupation. Yeah. So. You know, if you're going to work in construction, you've got to have a truck. Yeah, I mean, that's all we've ever seen. Are they all diesel trucks? Yeah, oh, and they smell, too. Yeah, I can tell because they, when I'm walking, they drive up and I, oh, that's what it is. Okay, so, you know, and, and it's got to make noise and get a truck. Really high. Yeah, that's really high. That's that's propped up, okay. And of course, your boots and your chartreuse shirt or your chartreuse jacket. You know, alternating it every once in a while when you have to wash it with something that is bright orange. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's certain ways you stand which I will illustrate tomorrow morning at our photo op. Um, I've been rehearsing, <laughs> right? Yeah, you think I did it okay? Yeah, oh yeah, it was okay, I passed, okay. Yeah, so um, yeah. And of course, then you have to have a mate, a spouse or a partner who is the kind of person that goes along with the image that you are 
hoping that you are, okay, according to your career, what you look like, and so on, you know, so that you can imagine yourself going to the Met. Is that what it's called? The, yeah, the Met. And uh, you can show up with whoever, you know, and you look glamorous and your partner is wows everybody. Yeah. Okay, for, so for the sake, but, you know, here it says, first of all, that you have to make requests through go-betweens. Those are the old-fashioned days where there was a yenta. Okay? You know what a yenta is? Yeah, it's a yenta with a herring. <laughs> it's, okay, a yenta is a matchmaker. And a matchmaker, of course, to make matches, they have their nose in everybody's life, checking out the family, the daughters, the sons, figuring out who they could match with who. And I guess in the old country, these yentas <laughs> had herring. <laughs> so I don't know what the story with the herrings is. Well, well I guess maybe you use it, herrings to make a filter fish. I'm not sure. Yeah? Anyway. Okay, so, so you have to have a yenta. So a yenta is probably, you know, anywhere between age 50 and 500. <laughs> okay. And, and then they look around and they figure, you know, they match people up. You know, and they have to match the families too, because when you get married, it's two families coming together. Okay. And so, the, I mean, this is ancient Indian custom. Even now, yeah, if you get any Indian newspaper and look in the classified ads, yeah, they are advertising their sons and daughters. Yeah. Gorgeous Brahmin girl seeking, uh, you know, uh, handsome Brahmin boy with five PhDs who will go to America, you know. Uh, but th this is, I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit, but, you know, yeah, that's the modern yentas. You, you do it in newspapers. What do people now do now? Forget yentas. You, you go on the computer and you go on some kind of dating app. Yeah. And what do you do? The first thing you, you know, um, the requests are like checking everybody else out. But before you do that, you have to make yourself into a good product and advertise yourself as a product that other people want to buy. Isn't that what a dating app does? Yeah. You put on the most gorgeous picture of what you do not look like. Yeah. Maybe you went to one of these places. We, we had somebody come here who wanted to ordain. And the day before she took Anagarika, she went to some department store where they will make you up, you know, with all these, you know, gorgeous things and take photos of you. 
That was the day before Anagarika. She isn't here now. <laughs> yeah. Um, we didn't find out about this until after she left, actually. Yeah, we didn't know she did that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what you do. You put a picture on when you look, you know, 20 years younger. You adv- I mean, you create yourself into a product and advertise yourself. How intelligent you are, how creative you are, how you, you know, whatever the the good-looking person likes, I'm going to like that too. Yeah, until you get married. But, you know, you sell yourself as a product, and then they buy you, and you do the same to them. You look around, what they look like, yeah, who looks good, what does their profile say? Mm, Do I want that one? Do I want this one? It's just amazing to me. You know, it it really is making yourself into a product. And what I read, you know, is everybody is looking for love. Yeah, why do you do that? Why do you want to date somebody? You're looking for love. Yeah. Love is out there, okay? And you sell yourself because you're looking for somebody to love you. That, to me, is really sad. Yeah. I mean, I did all that. Anybody else do that? Yeah, I did all that. But I look at it now, and it's really sad. Yeah, love is out there. It has nothing to do with me opening my heart and caring about others. It only has to do with they love me, and if you love me, boy, I'm going to love you back. That's the first criteria. Yeah, I am a sucker. If somebody likes me... I don't like him back. Anybody else a sucker? Yeah? All you have to do is say nice things to me. I'm going to follow you. Yeah? Most of us are like that, I think. Just say nice things. And then my wisdom is out the window. Okay? So all forms of of transgression and even notoriety are not avoided for their sake. So if you find someone that you think you want to buy, you know, yeah, what, what, what do you give? Your love, meaning your flattery. Yeah. And you, you want, you know, you're looking for love and you give your, your flattery. It's so sad. Uh, and, and then you do whatever you think will make that other person happy, even though you don't like doing it. Yeah, you all know I went to the football game with OJ only because I was dating this one guy. Yeah, 
That was one date. I didn't take, I dated him after that, but we did not go to any football games. Yeah. So I don't, we didn't date that long. <laughs> okay. But, um, you know, you do whatever you think you have to do to attract that person. Mm-hmm. So here it's talking about, you know, the, the families are doing it to matchmake you. And I was reading some families um, in the Jewish community, the Orthodox, you're matchmaked. Match, yeah, you're matchmaked. <laughs> they have, you know, that's the Yanta, even nowadays. And uh, but but some uh, some cultures really want that, and some people want that. You know, I was reading about some Indians who who really want their families to choose their spouses. In Afghanistan, that happens. You know, especially the woman. I mean, you you get sold. Yeah, in India, the woman's family has to give uh, a dowry. Yeah, she has to go there and work. But the man's family and her family has to give stuff to his family. I mean, at least if they're getting a slave, they should give something to her family. No. And then if they don't give enough, yeah, your husband or his family can retaliate. And you have dowry deaths, women who accidentally... You know, when they're cooking, they're sorry, catches on fire, and they burn to death. You know, this is this is what goes on. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's what we do for sex in society. You know, yeah. Some people say, "I don't want to get married. That's too much." That's too much screwing around, doing all of that stuff. I just want to hook up. Yeah, but then uh, hooking up is expensive too. You got to go to a bar. You got to go to a disco. You still have to make yourself look nice, you know. Then you got to pay to take them out for drinks and pay this and pay for that and pay for the other thing. So it's, you know, it's hard work. Yeah, when you look at it, it is, isn't it? But we call that fun. We call that enjoyment. And there's no guarantee. Yeah, completely. No guarantee. Yeah. There's no guarantee that you'll get the sex. Even if you get the sex, it may not be good sex, you know. Or you may get sex when you don't want it. It's totally, you know. But that's what human beings do. Yeah. Animals are just much more straightforward. Yeah. I mean, they all go through their mating rites. Yeah. The swans do it. They're on the lake and they, you know, do their thing. And I'm sure our ravens do. I'm sure there's a certain, ah, ah, ah. that means, darling, I love you. Come. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we have a little time for questions. Unless you want to tell stories. Is what Shanti Deva says true or not? It's true. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I just want to share. It's very destructive as well. Very, you lose yourself in the way, at least that was my experience. Yeah. It's like, in order to get that, you, you, you're not authentic anymore and you're, you don't have the right to be really sincere and honest and mm -hmm. you lose yourself in the way, I think. Yep. Well, that was my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're busy trying to be what you think they think you should be. And then you don't know who you are anymore. And that's why, you know, people will get married and then when they get divorced, they feel so lost because they spent so long trying to be what they thought the other person wanted them to be, you know, that then all of a sudden when that other person isn't there in their life, it's, well, who am I? Yeah, who am I? Who are my friends? We all used to have couple friends. Now we're divorced. Can I still be with my friends who are couples? Yeah. So, yeah. And then when you're, you know, you have your couple's social life, and, and but then, you know, you have to pay enough attention to your partner and enough attention to the other people that you're out with. And if you don't give enough attention to your partner, <clears throat> you know what happens on the car ride home. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had a very interesting experience about that in a recent meeting with some of the folks in town for the interfaith is that I've been trying to, in the beginning, to so just check in with everybody because they only see each other once a month. And we have two couples in the group. Mm -hmm. And trying to get one of them to share their own spiritual, how they're doing spiritually, without the other one interjecting and telling me ah. what that person's, or what they're doing, or what that person's doing. And to gently bring it back around and say, you know, I love to hear about, but I want to hear what, this person has to say, and the surprise on her face that that, that would be something that I would want to know, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and then to find out that this person's experience is very different than the spouse's experience. Yeah. You know, very different personalities. And so it was really, um, they're just kind of a, a set, you know? You're just mm -hmm. kind of a set after a while. And that even in the the married people that I knew before monastic life here, you always saw them as a pair. They really were separated. They did everything kind of together and they yep. finished each other's sentences. And it was kind of interesting. And how, like, like Cynthia said, you do kind of get lost. There. Yeah. 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 Even when they're in, they're socializing with a big group of people, they're always with their partner. 
Um, Venerable Jampa is wondering, um, how can we find the middle way through s engaging in social engagement while meditating to gain liberation? You have to find some kind of balance in your life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe do half-half. But, but the thing is, if you get too involved in social engagement, uh, your meditation's gonna get, will suffer. But if you don't meditate, your social engagement is going to suffer. Yeah. So you have to find some way to combine them, uh, when, uh, probably neither of them will be perfect, but that's samsara. Yeah. But if you're going to do social engagement, you have to keep up your spiritual practice. Otherwise, the state of your mind deteriorates. Yeah, I was curious when you were talking about um, the consciousness leaving the body at death. So um, you don't get to experience your uh, cremation or whatnot because your consciousness is gone. It sounds like you're saying the consciousness is physically attached to the body and then it goes somewhere else. Hmm. Is that what you're saying? Uh yeah, it's, it's, it's hiding out, you know. Um, no, it, while, while we're alive, what they call life is the body and the consciousness are associating with each other. Yeah. And so in that way, we talk about um, like the consciousness being in the body in the sense that we perceive things through the senses of this body. And the brain of this body is involved. So in that way, the consciousness is, is formless. And something formless, in one way, it can't be anywhere. But when it is attached, because that's why how we got born, isn't it? It's through craving for a body. So we crave for the body. We got what we craved. And then the consciousness is is associated with this body. At death time, the, the body ceases to be able to support the consciousness, yeah? And so the consciousness leaves and then the body becomes the corpse. The consciousness then, uh, you know, goes into the intermediate stage, yeah? Which, uh, you know, that being will have some kind of subtle body and then until they take rebirth. Does that answer your, your question? Yeah, you're saying they're connected but in a non-physical way. Well, they're connected and it's kind of physical in the sense that, you know, if, if your hand gets cut, the feeling in your mind, you have a painful feeling in your mind. And that's because of the connection. And I think my hypothesis is that the connection is through the energy winds. Yeah, the, the subtle and gross winds in the body. And I think that's how, because uh, the, the subtle winds are related to the consciousness, the gross winds more related to the body. But, you know, through that interaction, then the mind feels and senses what the uh, sense faculties in the body are contacting. Yeah. Thank you. 
and, you know, attachment to the body. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, let's dedicate then.